This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Who, who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The hardest thing in life and the hardest thing, if you, you know, try, the hardest thing you will ever do is to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. It is really difficult. Okay? And he never promised differently. So let me give you a scenario that is um, imaginary and yet very real that maybe I think it sort of flushes out this, how hard it is, just where the battle lines are. So let's just say a 17-year-old girl. And she believes in Jesus. She goes to church. Um, She's been brought up in the church. She knows that Jesus died for her. She prays. She reads her Bible. Got the picture? But she is overwhelmed by the thought that she is not desired by a boy. That's the overwhelming. I mean, you take all that stuff that, that she says she believes, but the overwhelming thought in her life is, why am I not? desirable to somebody on this planet, a boy. I believe in Jesus, she says, in moments of honesty. I believe in Jesus, but what good is it? (laughs) Now, if you haven't, in that scenario, if you haven't felt that at some point, I mean, that's the battle line. That is where Jesus is Lord becomes real or, or not real. In your life. And I think, you know, that's a 17 year old girl, but we could apply it, each of us, in our own settings. Um, and if you are not able to, just think about this, if you're not able to make Jesus the Lord of your life, then, and, and by Lord we mean the one, and Tony, he said it perfectly, he, he is the one who takes, he, he has veto power over my thoughts and my feelings and my deepest desires. 
So uh, that's what we mean by that. But if you're if you're not the 17 year old girl, who's the Lord of your life? Some 17 year old boy is the Lord of her life <laughs> or her own thoughts. And I mean, just think how tragic that is. So uh, Jesus is Lord is a tough deal for all of us. And uh, we're going to uh, explore that this morning. It, it, the question before us is, how do we miss the deadliest catch or avoid marrying the wrong person? And. Uh, It has something to do with that statement, Jesus is Lord. There's a hint right there. We're going to come back to that statement a few times here. Uh, It uh, is hard. It's going to be hard. And when we come to the Bible, we have to realize that it was written, you know, 2,000 to 3,000 years ago, depending on which testament we're talking about. And dating is roughly the, the first time the word dating came into the English language was in 1914. So not even 100 years ago. And the, the concept of dating as we know it is not found in the Bible. So we have to go deeper. And what I'm going to try to do here is do what we've done each Sunday. And that is start with a statement that we find in Ephesians 531 that comes out of Genesis chapter two. That is that the intention of, of God for marriage or of God towards marriage is that the two shall become one and uh, leaving and cleaving and all of that stuff. So the two becoming one. And we'll start there and kind of work back. What does that mean for us? We're going to look at our culture and how we process marriage. We're going to then look at those three Greek words that we've looked at the last few weeks and about the love words. And then we're going to look at some of the practical considerations. So there's the outline. We're going to start with the culture and how we, um, how we view marriage. I'm going to put up uh, three things here. One is that we undervalue, or I'm sorry, overvalue marriage. Then we're going to go to undervalue. How do we overvalue marriage in our culture today? This is, I'm talking, when I say culture, I'm talking about the, the air that we breathe in here. That what is our culture? What are the messages that we're getting from the media and, and places like that? Uh, one of those is that it, it, it breeds at least this overvaluing of marriage. So, um, here's here's some thoughts that would go along with that. We are uh, we think that if I can just get married, if I can just find the right person, some of that soulmate thinking we talked about last week, if I can just find the right person, all my emotional needs will be met. Then I will be in. in I mean, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to we're going to maybe not happy ever after, but I'm going to be happy. And we have these really, really high, very high value expectations of what marriage can be. Now, where does that come from? I got a theory. Okay, <laughs> Disney. <laughs> That's my theory. But but anyway, there's there is a syndrome out there. It's called the Cinderella syndrome. And and uh, but it's not just Cinderella, is it? It's Beauty and the Beast. It's Lady and the Tramp. It's uh, Sleeping Beauty. It's Shrek. Did I say it right. I mean, look at it. It's the whole thing. And the thing is, is if you can just find your Prince Charming. Yeah, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be good. You're going to have your deepest needs met. In fact, I got online. Disney has, I just Googled, I had no idea. I just Googled Disney and romance or something. And you can, uh, I hate to tell you this, because they probably already know if you're, if you're in this uh, way of thinking, but there, you can go to Disneyland or Disney World and you can get married and they will make you into the character you know about this? I did not know that. I am so glad my wife did not know that. I would have gone as goofy, but um, would have looked bad for Cinderella. Anyway, 
So they have, and Princess Bride, I hate to say that, it's one of my favorite movies, but you get this, these fairy tale endings. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping on gender toes here, right? Do you feel that a little bit, women? Yeah, I am. But um, I have a, some resources to go fall back on here. Carol Gilligan is uh, a name that I've used before, and not Christian. In fact, I, I, she's Jewish, and I doubt if she's practicing Jewish, but I don't know. Uh, Harvard-trained, a very... If you're into developmental psychology, you will know who Carol Gilligan is. She, back in the 1980s, when the feminist, she's a feminist, when the feminist movement was saying men and women are the same except for their physical differences, she was one, she's a feminist who said, wait a minute, women are wired differently in a much deeper way than just the physical. And she caused a lot of friction with her fellow feminists. But what she said was that women are, and this does not sound that profound, but uh, it takes really smart people to recognize really obvious things sometimes, that women are more relationally wired, that they are into connectivity, that they nourish more. That, uh, and those are not, obviously not bad things. We appreciate, don't we appreciate them? Yes, we do. And, um, but the, the downside or the negative, the dark side of that gift is dependence, an overdependence on something. And so in the, in the words of our 17-year-old girl, I'm going to die if I don't get asked to the prom, right? I mean, it's, it's just it, that kind of, and whatever you say, I'm going to die if, be you male or female, that should tell us, and all of you guys know this word because I preached on it for uh, this last fall, what's that mean? Oh, we got one. Give them a A. Yeah. Idolatry. It's, it's an idol. Whenever you say, if I don't have something other than God, I'm going to die. Well, that's, that's the pointer right there. So there's an idolatry that comes out of this unhealthy dependence. If I can just get married, if I can just find the right guy. <sighs> so there's the overvaluing side. Now let's go to the undervaluing um, the undervaluing side is, and you won't be surprised here, that this tends to be more of a male, according to Carol, Carol Gilligan, and I think we would find that confirmed both in the scriptures and in our own lives, that men tend to um, be more on the independent side rather than the dependent side. And so Gilligan says that we love not to connect so much as to separate ourselves. In fact, we like to position ourselves in a higher place. If you can just get to the Super Bowl, you know, you can look down on other people. I mean, men, we, we are questing all the time for something. And the, it's not a bad thing. I mean, it, we, you know, we have a, but it can be a bad thing. The dark side of our questing is our independence. Remember what the scripture is saying. The two shall become one. They are to mutually submit one to the other. So it's not about dependence. It's not about independence it's about interdependence that's it two so you've got these you've got women becoming too dependent men becoming independent now that, those are just wiring issues that would cross every culture there's a to get a perfect storm and that's what we're going to get here you need you need three things to happen and so since the 1960s we have a divorce culture and that leads to an overfear of marriage. Why is that? Well, I think you've heard it before, but if you've seen the carnage, the tearing apart, the ripping apart that divorce can cause, it creates in the, those who have been around it a, an aversion to commitment, 
In other words, if I can avoid commitment, I will avoid pain. I hear this from people, whether they say it, and some do, or they live it, as many do. Uh, it is part of the world in which we live. There is a fear of marriage. So that leads to the, the phenomenon that is so common, and it's not, it, it seems so even try to talk about it, but it's cohabitation. Cohabitation is a way that you can maybe have your cake and eat it too, or at least avoid the pain that would come with love, right? Now, but, but think about what cohab- the, the, the downside to cohabitation, and, and I understand, I do understand the fear, um, of, especially of kids who have come out of divorced families that they have towards making a commitment. But one of the, the ways that I love you gets said in cohabitation uh, places is I love you, I really love you, but not enough. And this doesn't get said, but it's being said, but not enough to permanently and exclusively and totally nakedly. Remember, that's that's what that means. Cleaving. Back to Genesis chapter two, totally nakedly, meaning uh, emotionally, sexually, uh, relationally, spiritually, financially, legally, every way I am becoming one with you. I love you. But not that much is what's being said. That's it. I, I, I just want you to. That's that's it. <laughs> I don't know how you can say that's not it. And uh, that's. But I, I want I want to be fair that there is a legitimate fear that is behind that phenomenon. Okay, let's go to our three Greek words that might help us to move forward with this. Now, if you were here the last few weeks, you'll know what these are. The first is eros love. These are, um, this word is really not found. The word itself is not found in the scriptures. Uh, and I could explain that. There is, there is maybe one little exception there, but it's not worth going into. But the concept is there. In other words, it's romance. And in romance, in its most um, obviously, its most intense form is, is sexual intercourse, and there is lots in the Bible on that topic. And the most intense place is in the Song of Solomon in terms of a celebration of what God intended. So there's, there's eros love. Uh, there's filial love, which we talked about last week, which is friendship. It's about friendship being uh, that, that I, I made the argument, I tried to at least, that you want to marry your best friend. You really do. You want, to have, you want to have things in common. And, and then that person that you, you know, you look at something and you and, and you they look at it and you notice and you say, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. And it's that kind of intimacy that that grows in the heart is so foundational to a marriage. And then the third kind of love is agape, which is uh, uh, godly. It, it's, it's how God loves us. And it, it's faithful love. It's permanent. It's obviously exclusive. Um, he, you know, for, for him and. Well, he's committed to us. It's a commitment love. And biblically, those three are all found in the marriage relationship. Now, here's how it works in, if I can get this next one up there, uh, in, the, um, in the culture. You start with eros, love. You start, and this is how I'm just, this is, I'm just trying to describe what I see in what's called the hookup culture. And that, let's just say you walk into a room, Let's just say you're that 17-year-old girl or 17-year-old boy or whoever. We can, we don't, doesn't matter. But you walk into a room, and I remember the days, 
And there's, let's say there's 10 people in that room that are the other gender. What is it that, and you're single and you're, you know, whatever the word is, you're in the, you're, you're looking. What is it that you're looking for? And you see 10 people, other gender, who are unattached. What is it that our culture says you should be looking for? Do I need to answer this for you? It's pretty much all physical, right? And you look, you, you, pretty, you would probably rule out, if you're typical, um, seven or eight of those people based on didn't seem physically compatible, body type, whatever. Maybe you're looking for the supermodel or whatever. I don't, but, but anyway, you narrow it down and you say, now that is somebody that, you know, and you, and you maybe make eye contact and you look for that chemistry and maybe a gesture, something that would lead you on and two people, and there's this magic thing that happens and you end up in bed together. Have you watched a movie lately? That's it. That's, it's a, it's, it really is eros. It's a form of eros, putting that first. And then, I'm describing our culture here. Not, not, believe me, this is, don't say this is what Pastor Mark said to do. All right. <laughs> then it, you sort of say, well, okay, we've done that. Now let's find out if we're compatible. And the way to do that is to live together and give it a test drive. And even though, I mean, and I think you know this, that uh, all the studies out there point to the fact that people who cohabit before marriage have a higher divorce rate than those who don't. But here's the logic. You, 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 give it or you, you find out no harm, no foul. In other words, we can live together for a year. If it doesn't work out, no foul. Is that true? No foul? <laughs> you know what, this, what the studies say is that women typically feel like they got fouled more than men in that, in that whole thing. But the idea is no foul. And then if, if that seems to work, if there's compatibility and if you can get that, usually it's the woman who has more of the, the yearning for dependence, remember, and connectivity, relationship, safety within the context of a protector. And she can somehow lean on that guy to you know, get him coming her way, who's more independent and all the rest. Then you do have an attempt at agape or commitment love. Okay, and that can end in marriage. That's what I'm saying. Marriage. Okay, and it, and it. I mean, I know people that have gone through that. That and they they seem to have fairly happy uh, marriages, good marriages. I I don't. I, I, I mean, it, yeah. I, I, what what can I say? It's not the best. It's not God's way. It's not the Jesus is Lord way. But I understand why. I do. I get it, and I get the logic of it. And a lot of it's coming out of the fear that. People have, but there is another way. There is another way to do it. And God, and by the way, in that scenario right there, God loves people. He loves them. He can't help. He just loves them. He loves them, those people that do that. <laughs> I, you know, that's who he is. So don't don't mistake that. But the Jesus is Lord way would look something like this. Based on just reflecting back off of off of Ephesians 531 and that whole passage and what we know about God from Genesis, his intentions for marriage. It would perhaps, and I think it, it would. Now, traditional cultures will just, I got to admit, traditional cultures in their extreme will just go right to the commitment. And then you have to figure out how you're going to like this person for the rest of your life and, and then have romance with them. I don't, do you want to go there? I mean, I don't like that. 
And it's usually based on some economic, you know, your family, my family, matching up and da-da-da. So, but that, that's yeah, a lot of history there. They're not going there. But what about you come into that room, there's uh, 10 people the opposite gender. And instead of thinking only, because I know that uh, attractiveness, physical attractiveness is important. And uh, I don't want to say that, but, but maybe put primary, primary emphasis on the friendship factor, the phileo love, or the potential for it. Because that's really what's gonna, what you want to be looking for. <laughs> is, is, is there a compatibility here? And I, I, feel like, I feel like what I'm saying right now just seems so archaic and quaint, and people are going to just say, oh, you've got to be kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. I just came from a class reunion. People fade. <laughs> I looked at ten women there that I thought were hot in high school. Oh! Yeah. You know, I was the only one there who hadn't aged. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> mm. So you're looking there, though, and there's, there's 10 people in the room and, and, and of the other side, and, and you're thinking, well, maybe, maybe I should be more, a little broader here in my considerations of who might be someone that I would want to spend the rest of my life with. It certainly can't all be about body. You don't want to, I mean, that, how to, how, if the body fades, how, how's this going to work? I mean, I, if, if I am going to get married, and I've I got these fears going on about what that means and total commitment, Permanent, exclusive, I mean, that's a big commitment. I want to find somebody that I can relate to at every level, that I can be totally naked with at every level. And in some ways it narrows it down, but in some ways it broadens it out. Because you don't want to write those people off quite so soon. Right? I mean, maybe, maybe I, yeah, I mean, just think that through, that, that there's possibilities there. And, and talk to people who have married for the body only, and you'll find that it didn't, always, you know, it didn't work out. It's really, it really, long haul, is, if we're talking about till death do us part, that person, the first thing we should be looking for is the person that I can be most intimate with in every way, okay? That's all I'm saying. Attractiveness is part of that, I mean, physical, but there's got to be a deeper attractiveness going on there. And then the, the scriptures would say, you, you find a context in which that can happen where you can be totally vulnerable to another person, where you feel safe. And the, the marriage commitment is that place. It, it gives you a, a not just a, a it's, it's relational, but it's also a legal way of protecting you. It's really a, it's a really good thing. And uh, that kind of love, that commitment kind of love till death do us part, permanent, exclusive. And then the third thing would be Come on. Yeah, we need that. Yeah, we need that. Yeah. Eros. And so you, you find that that, that physical uh, nakedness reaches its apex in sexual intercourse within the context of something that protects it. The vulnerable is protected and the nakedness is protected. Now, that's God's view right there. Uh, so let's get to the practical here. And I've already said one thing that is really important in terms just practicality, is friendship. So that when you're, here's, I, I'm assuming right now that some of you, or you know people who are in the search mode, okay? The Google search engine. 
is going inside of you or in somebody you know. And I'm trying to I want to give you three things that are and there's many. I wish we had time for more because these are probably the main. But I would say we've already touched on one, and that is friendship. You want to be thinking friendship, compatibility as part of the attractiveness here. You start there. It's kind of, believe me, you'll, 20 years from now, you're going to thank me that I said this is what I, how I feel. I'm, I'm saving you lots of pain. And, and then uh, the second thing, though, and this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, I'll leave that up. Is uh, that you should marry. And, and I know you, you probably know this, but if you don't know your Bibles, it's in there that you should marry a believer. If you're going to get married, marry a Christian. Well, that narrows it down. I thought we were going to, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, OK, so I'm trying to anticipate the questions here. That, that makes it harder. What was Paul? What was his deal anyway? And, well, he has, here's what I would say is his logic in that. Um, remember, we're, we're reflecting on the two becoming one. OK, let's just take that as our starting point. But that's the most important thing in the Bible about marriage is that two people who are not related are going to become one. In one meaning every way, total nakedness, total vulnerability, every, you know, there's nothing you're holding back. Yeah, and it's scary. Okay, big, it's a big deal. If that's our goal, that's God's goal for uh, a man and a woman, husband and wife, then how is that person going to, that person, if, if that person, if Jesus is your Lord, Meaning, translating, he's in the very center of my life, the very center. How is this other person going to understand you if he or she does not understand Jesus? I mean, how are you ever going to get to the center of you? How's that going to mesh with the center of who she is or who he is? That's, that's really the question here. Doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. If, you, if we can agree on some assumptions it doesn't make sense for a Christian who, who is someone who believes. You know, this, this is where things get sticky, is that we have a lot of Christians who really don't make Jesus Lord. He's not really in the center of their life. He's kind of an add-on to their life. Well, that's, that's not the way the word Christian is defined in the Bible. So, but let's just say that we're def- using the biblical definition. A Christian is somebody who has Jesus in the very center of their lives. They, they, don't, they are second, or in marriage, they are third, and they're not wanting to have their thoughts and feelings and desires competing with Jesus's, but submitted to Jesus. Okay. That's, that's the question. So here's what happens. And this is what I've seen. And I'm guessing this is what some of you have seen or experienced is that two things. One of two things happens when you marry someone who is not a believer. One is that you are not able to share that part of your life with them. You withhold from them something that is the most, well, it's really the most important thing in your life, isn't it? It really is. It's the most important. It's the defining relationship that you have in your life that you have to withhold from them. And it, cre- it you can make it work. And some of you know that, the, but it's hard. It, it really is difficult, but you can make it work. Uh, but the second thing that ha- can happen, and th- this is what I see more of, and it breaks my heart, and I think it breaks God's heart, is that you'll find a person who, they, they end up marrying a non-Christian, and, and rather than drifting apart from their spouse, they drift apart from Christ, right? You, you, and and it, it, the way it's a slow drift, the, the, you know, they start out with the best of intentions, and they have hopes, and maybe they, they hope to convert their spouse, but what, and I'm not 
that, that God's done that. So I'm not saying it can't happen. But what I have seen happen many times is that this person, says, they do start to drift away. You don't see them as often around places like this. And if you ever get a chance to talk to them, they'll tell you a story about how it, you know, I, I drifted away. I, I, Jesus went from being the center of my life to being in a corner of my life. I called out to him only when I needed his comfort. And you know that when you're Lord, you don't really respond to people who only call out to you when you need comfort. I mean, that's not that doesn't define the master servant relationship. And so you, you get kind of a little frustrated with that because you think it should. But that's not the way that's not the God of the Bible. Yeah, he, he will. He is comforter, but he's also many other things. And if you only give him that one little slice of your life, you give God permission to comfort you and not to teach you and not to grow you and not to do all these other things that he says he will do, guide you and all the rest. Uh, he doesn't doesn't work with that. And it, and it makes you feel uncomfortable. Why should I go to somebody who's making me feel bad? So you just kind of, and after a while, you end up, you hardly recognize Jesus. And that's the way, that's where you, but you've got, you've got it. You're, you're, you know, you, you may have a great marriage. There's a tension there, though. So the first, well, the first thing is friendship. The second thing is marry, I'm, I'm trying to make the case here for marrying a believer. Jesus is Lord. And the third thing is character. And because you can marry, you can marry somebody who says they're a Christian, right? And the character. Now, I got to speak into something else here. That is that you will not find a perfect person. If one of the problems that single people have, they have fear. And some of their fear is just based in the fact that they can't find that perfect person. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you can look long and hard, can't you? I mean, we're all going to have to marry somebody who's, if we're going to get married, we're going to have to marry somebody who's not perfect. You need to be reminded of that. And so, um, but there are character flaws that you want to watch out for. And you need the Bible in Proverbs especially, and I'm not going to give you all the references here, but you need to know that the character is so important. Um, so you need due diligence do do a background check i don't care do yeah honestly and ask your friends you know what happens when you fall you fall in love you know we use that expression like falling into a ditch right we fall in love we can't help ourselves our minds go blank when your minds go blank you need other people around you speaking some sanity into your life that's part of you know, ask does this person seem to have character to you and you watch them over time that's why you you know uh for quick marriages are not recommended. You've got to watch them. Look at them under pressure. How do they respond under pressure? Remember, they're not going to be perfect, so don't be looking for every little thing. But are they, is there a huge character flaw there that you need to watch out for? Now, the backside of character, this is what I want to, and we're going to um, come to the communion table here in just a sec, but I want to, I want to look at the other side of character. Here, here's one of my favorite questions, and it usually confuses people until I really get them to think about it. Are you becoming the kind of person, the kind of person you would want to marry, would want to marry? Okay, come on, let it, just let it, the second time through, read it. Are you becoming the person of character that another person of character that you would admire would want to marry? You see? So it's not a one-way question about character, in other words. You want to improve your chances with somebody that you, the kind of person that you would want to marry? You've got to look inward. What would that look like? What would it look like for that other person? Can I give you, can I give you nine words? That are to- These are out of Galatians 5. 
They're called the fruit of the spirit. You're looking for love. That, that is the word agape, by the way, in that passage. You're looking for that faithful love. You're looking for joy. You're looking for peace and kindness. Did I get patience in there? Patience, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. I lost track. <laughs> I think I have ten fingers, and I came up with eight. Anyway, uh, but you're looking for those kinds of qualities in others, and that's what they're going to be looking for in you if they're the kind of person that you would want to marry, I think. Now, where are you going to get that? How are you going to grow into that kind of person without Jesus as Lord? How's it going to work? That's, that's it. Jesus as Lord is, is really where we need to go here. Uh, he is the one who can do what you can't even do. I mean, just your prayer life. Lord, make me more patient. If you've not prayed that one lately, pray it five times real fast. <laughs> you need it. But, but uh, Lord, make me more loving, more joy. And, and work with the Spirit on all that stuff. We grow. But there's, you know, it, here's, here's the thing. There, there, I understand why people fear making a permanent, exclusive commitment to another person. And I understand why you would fear making that to Jesus. I, I get it. Commitment. I mean, when, the more you commit, the more pain you can feel. I agree. I totally agree. But the more you commit, the more life you can experience. Real life. And there is no one in this world that I can speak more highly of. You're thinking my wife. No, it's not true. It's Jesus. No one that I can speak more highly of, that I could recommend more highly to you, that has the character that Christ has. I, I'm just saying, he, you can commit to him. You can count on him. He will never, ever, ever let you down. He is faithful. And if you commit your life to him, if Jesus is Lord, things work out. Let's go to the communion table here. And I want to remind you of something that we said earlier in this series. Um, this is a table that is, normally when we come to this table, we, we bring the imagery of the cross front and center, and the cross is there. But it is a, it's a remembering of Jesus, what he did for us, how he died for us. But it's also a... Uh, a sign of the future. And that's where we're going to focus this morning. So this table is a small sign of a huge event that's in the future. In Revelation 19, where it talks about the marriage of God and his people. Married people and single people, doesn't matter at that point. We're all going to be, this is how it's presented to us, that we would all be married to God's people. This, this table is a celebration of that feast. It's called the Feast of the Lamb. And uh, we eat and drink in celebration. So if not to be trite or but we can literally say, here's to the future. Here is to the future. Here is to our future marriage with the Lord. He is. He loves us. And that, that is uh, for us to say I do to him. This is one of the ways that we can say I do to Jesus Christ. We can say Jesus is Lord through this meal. So here's your opportunity to respond to the one who loves you. Now, we're going to do it a little differently. We've done it this way before, and there are explanations there in your worship guide. Um, it will, uh, 
basically, I think in this service we'll have three, I think there's three stations. I know, Missy, you're going to help, and Jeff, right? Right there, yeah. And uh, in just a sec, I'll tell you what guys want to come up. But go to one of these three places and just take uh, a piece of the, um, there's, there's rice crackers here for those who have allergies, but the wheat bread or cracker and dip it into the cup, take it back to your seat, and then we'll all take it together in, in a few minutes. There'll be a, uh, a scripture up on the screen behind me, um, and it's to meditate regarding Jesus as Lord. Let's remember the words of our Lord uh, through the Apostle Paul. Paul tells us that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus um, he took bread, and after he broke it, he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after they had eaten the meal together, he took a cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember me in this. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until that day when we are married to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that we find at this table and the way it points us not just to the past and to what you've, the, the expression of your love for us on the cross, but towards the future. May we receive it now, Lord, with grateful hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.